Hello and welcome. I'm Roger Ream, and this is the Liberty and Leadership Podcast, a conversation with TFAS alumni who are making a real impact in politics, public policy, government, business, philanthropy, law, and the media. Today, I'll be speaking with Bryce Mitchell. Bryce was a member of the TFAS International Affairs Program in 2014. As a United States Air Force captain and a mentor to students and young professionals, his work really has brought him around the world. Bryce, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your career and what you've been doing since you attended a TFAS program in 2014. Yeah, thank you, Roger. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, uh, I think this is going to be a great conversation, uh, partly uh, because of your great service in the U.S. Air Force, which we appreciate very much, Uh, your passion for climbing mountains and biking, uh, the work you do uh, in the volunteer sector, and uh, many other topics that we'll be covering. And so uh, we're we're definitely proud of you as, as someone we claim as an alum of a Fund for American Studies program. Uh, why, don't, why don't we start with, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and kind of what led to your decision to uh, g- uh, go to the uh, U.S. Air Force Academy? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, both of my parents were Air Force veterans. They, they both served for about four to five years each. Um, and so public service was something that they always championed. I remember the first time visiting Colorado Springs, I must have been eight years old. We were driving on the highway, I-25. My dad pointed over to the academy. You, can, you could just make out the spires of the chapel. And he said, yeah. that's a very tough school to, to be accepted into. And I, I always remembered that. And I said, well, maybe I should work towards that. Um, and actually, a few years later, I was sitting in a library in high school. And I learned of, of a cadet named Henry O. Flipper. He was the first African-American cadet to graduate from West Point, And I was fascinated by his story. I think it was 1874. And that really resonated with me. And I decided to apply to all, all of the academies. And I was accepted to, to the Air Force Academy. So that's where I went. Well, wonderful. Wonderful. That's a great honor to, to get in there. I know it's a very competitive process. Uh, and uh, you excelled there uh, academically and in all other uh, extracurricular ways. Uh, was it a... Great experience for you. I know that first year can be a tough one, but overall, you—I assume you had a great experience at the academy. I, I did have a great experience. That, that first year is always tough, but I find that I uh, found that when, during that first year, that's where you make your friends. That's where you make those bonds because you're going through something pretty tough. Um, so I was a track and field athlete, and that's where a lot of my my friendships were on that team. Um, but yeah, just living in Colorado, you can't beat that um, skiing. Um, cycling, uh, being able to run on the track team, and then on just having the, the opportunity to, to go to a school like that where they bring in speakers from all across government, all across the Air Force. And um, it was, it was a, a great time. And TFAS was definitely a highlight for me. Well, yeah, that's uh, for those who are listening and don't know it, uh, TFAS has had a relationship uh, with the Air Force Academy since the mid-1980s. And uh, it seems that every summer they – select some of their very top students to attend our programs, programs in Washington, D.C. in the summer and programs overseas. And so it's been, it's been just great to have this relationship with the Air Force Academy. 
Uh, the students bring so much to the program, uh, partly because you have made that commitment to service in the military. And I think it reflects uh, well on you. And then you're in a program where you can talk with other students about that decision you made uh, to uh, take up military service when you're at a TFAS program. You can you can be a positive influence, but you were selected in 2014. You came to our international affairs program and uh, you took it all full advantage of it. Uh, I'm so happy that you were able to intern for uh, Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, the late Don Rumsfeld, in his office in Washington. Uh, that must have been a, a special time for you. Sure, sure. But uh, if, if I could go back about a year, because my my journey to TFAS really grew out of, uh, at the time, what I thought was um, kind of, in, in, in my athletic career, a tragedy, because I ended up having an injury going through my sophomore year um, that took me out for pretty much the rest of the season. And for the first time in my life, I visited Washington, D.C. that spring break. And I, this, I said, just I'm amazed by the city. I definitely would, if I ever got a chance, I would like to intern here. Um, and so that was in the back of my mind. And then later on that summer, um, also around the same time, I, I was accepted into a trip to Israel. So these two really formative experiences, I went through the Air Force Academy um, and met up with 10 other cadets from Naval Academy, West Point, and we had a full tour of, of, of Israel, Jerusalem, the Golan Heights, down to, down to the Negev Desert, and just working with the IDF, learning a bit about some of the security, uh, security situation. Um, so it was with that experience that I applied for the TFAS program, knowing that I wanted to work in D.C., um, and knowing that I wanted to, to, to intern as well. Um, so that really grew out of that, that injury on, on, that I had on the track team. So, but, uh, but my time at the Secretary Rumsfeld was, was amazing. In fact, I, I originally hoped I was like, I knew the TFAS could pair you up with embassies and you could work in, work in that space. So when I received the, the email from, I think it was, I don't know if it was Remley or Sarah who sent, sent me the email saying, you've been selected as a potential candidate um, to just have to interview. I just remember going back. I knew who Secretary Rumsfeld was, but I knew that I had to do a little bit more reading, a bit more research. Um, and yeah, but that, that, that's kind of what led to it. But yeah, my time with him was, was by far the highlight of, of my, my time in DC. Yeah. Well, that, that track and field injury reminds me of that old saying, you know, that one, one door closes, another one opens somewhere. And, uh, you know, you, you had that track and field season ending abruptly, but it led to what incredible opportunities that visit to Israel must've really been something, uh, and, uh, very impactful for an, for a military Academy cadet to experience, uh, was secretary Rumsfeld, uh, I know did a lot in his office. He, he was, he's generally, I was writing books. Uh, I had a nephew who interned in his office when he was writing his uh, biography, and then uh, he wrote Rumsfeld's Rules and other books. What what kind of office was it like when you were there? Well, the, the first thing that um, we, the main task that we worked on at first was it was myself and another TFAS intern, um, Kyle. We were charged with. Um, archiving some of his personal papers um, for the Library of Congress. 
Uh, so that was uh, just a fascinating experience going through reading um, and understanding how he thought, um, helping with some of the correspondence. And then the second piece, it was really research because if anyone knows Secretary Rumsfeld, he was famous for these snowflakes. So even in his office, he would task out taskings via the snowflake method, which is if someone doesn't know, if the viewers don't know what a snowflake is, but essentially it was a memo that um, it was a memo system that he used at the, at the Pentagon. He sent it must millions of probably millions of these things throughout his throughout his career in government. You would receive one, you'd have a, have a question, and you'd have to research it, get it done, and it also have a date. You'd have to respond back. So even in, in that office environment, with, with only six of us, he still liked to use that that system. Um, and of course, he had his, his Central Asian Fellows Program because he really focused, wanted to build up a leadership cadre in, in Central Asia and continue to build linkages and ties between a lot of the Central Asian countries. So being able to help out there, as well as the military charity side. So it was those four tasks um, with a small team, constant interaction with, with Secretary Rumsfeld, which uh, I just remember thinking, wow, that's that's his stand-up desk. That's what he used. That's where, that's where a lot of his monumental decisions were made at the, at, at the Pentagon. And you can still see it in his office. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had quite an office. I've gone there for tours where he'd show you all the things hanging on the walls, the photos, the letters, the uh, honors he'd received in his career. Uh, so you uh, then came, went back and finished your education at the academy, and uh, now you've had quite a, a series of experiences in your Air Force career. It, I think it's taken you to uh, the Korean Peninsula. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did work on Africa, from maybe from London. I uh, went to graduate school, uh, been at the Department of Defense. Uh, that's that's uh, a lot in a short period of time. Uh, tell talk. I'd love to talk a little about South Korea because I know that led you to also be working with refugees there. Uh, so if you could speak to that experience in South Korea, I mean, it's, a, it's obviously a very tense place to be. Uh, working in the military uh, for our country. So, you know, and you probably can't tell us everything, but talk a little bit just about the experience being there. And I should mention, uh, I know we'll get into this in a little bit, but you're, you're an avid mountain climber. And so I'll come back to all these places to talk about some of the the mountains you've, you've climbed in your life. Uh, But first let's talk a little more of the military side of South Korea. I'd be happy to. Um, So I was going through intelligence training San Angelo, Texas, um, about 2017. Uh, if you remember, July 4th, 2017 is when uh, the North Koreans launched an ICBM. They chose that day for a reason. There was a definite message to Washington. Um, that was a week before I found out that I had been selected for a position in, in South Korea. I'd be working with the Army, the 2nd Infantry Division. Um, where I would be helping to train the essentially the ROC forces, the Republic of Korean forces, as well as the U.S. Army on all things Air Force, aerial, um, kind of ISR, intel collection aircraft. Um, so that was going to be my first position. And as I prepared to leave, uh, which I ended up getting on the ground there around August, October timeframe, I could just see that this was going to be a very tense time. Um, you could see yeah. the messaging, you could see... Um, the 
the discussions in, in, in Washington, um, the tensions were very high. Um, and just to be on a, to be a fly on the wall um, during these major exercises, where almost every single one was one of the largest of, of the of, of, of the of the alliance, because we were surging, we were, we were really it was a show of force um, trying to deter the North Koreans from from taking any any, any other steps and really trying to force them to a, to a diplomatic off ramp. Um, that diplomatic off ramp came. Um, there was a essentially in, in the spring with the with the Pyeongchang Olympics. Um, so to go from high tensions, training the, the Korean forces, going to these major exercises to the Olympics, where you see three summits within a few months, um, it was a, a very impactful experience for me um, to be. Because the thing about Korea, one of the one of the reasons I think it was a Colonel that told me before I left, he says it's strategic and tactical. Uh, it's 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 got everything. You're you're working in tactical mission. You have to become an expert, but at the same time, you're 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 in the Korean theater of operations. But every decision you make or potentially could make could have strategic implications. So it's a combination of both. You can understand the tactical side of your job, but at the same time, you know that 60 miles north of you, there are extreme consequences, and it, and it becomes very strategic very quickly. So that was I couldn't have been a better first year as a mental officer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, were you able to take in any of the Olympic games? I did. I actually watched the first um, gold medal. It was a guy named Red Gerard. I think he was a snowboarder. His last, his last run, he ended up sticking it and winning gold, first gold medal at the, the Olympics. So that was definitely pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, good. While you were there, you also did some work with refugees. Is that correct? That's true. That 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 was the. I was there for two years. So the, the second year, um, I I stumbled across an organization called Teach North Korean Refugees. Um, I, I didn't realize this, but the the challenges for North Korean defectors it, they don't end right when they leave their country. In fact, in some ways, it becomes a bit more difficult. Um, you, they're they're away from their family. They don't know what's happening to their family back in back in North Korea. Um, in some cases, it's taken them five to seven years after they crossed the Yalu River in the north to make it through China, make it through Southeast Asia, and finally find it in the South Korean embassy that takes them to Seoul. Um, but once they do, they realize that you you have to become a contributing citizen, and one of the ways you can do that is to quickly learn English. So this teach North Korean refugees English was a it's a, it's a nonprofit that essentially it helps teach those skills, English skills, to to, to North Korean defectors um, because it's it's really unfortunate because that, that it's a very very tough community. Um, you, it's 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 it just really is you to be able to help them. And, and I was able to work with one. She's a she's about thirty five years old from from North Korea. Um, the main thing she wanted to do was actually learn how to sing Disney songs. So I remember um, there was a, there was a, <laughs> the one the song she brought was Elsa. So this is what she wanted to learn how to sing from, from the from the movie. So yeah. I was helping her sound out these words. I don't think I had much of a pitch or anything. I can't well, I, I won't. Don't worry. I, I won't ask you to sing it today. So yeah, please. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> but yeah, because yeah, that's what in, in some way she, she knew. That, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. So 
that was a pretty amazing experience. Did you did you have the opportunity to hear about some of their experiences of life in uh, the North? I imagine it was pretty meager. Existence. Uh, I definitely did. Very meager existence. Um, always constantly looking behind your back. It's hard to trust others. Um, and and just knowing that I, I, we didn't we were weren't supposed to pry into that aspect of their life because for yeah. some of them, honestly, it's it seems like a good way for you to um, have, make some money on the side as a North Korean defector is to work with the, the North the South Korean military, um, provide briefings on life in, in North Korea, um, and it seems like at times they just wanted to stop talking about it and focus on their on their studies because their other job would be to address these issues and constantly have, have to discuss it. But um, she, she did share that her, her family was still in, in North Korea. So, yeah. 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 I've, I've had the chance to hear some of those defectors speak who've come to the U S and I know it's uh, it's quite a testimonial they deliver when you hear them talk about life there uh, and the transition to many of them uh, were actually taught through the program. Yeah. Well, I, ma- I imagine that yeah. that's right. And I imagine the transition must be extremely difficult if you've been raised in the kind of society that North Korea is like. And uh, then you went for, in your career, then took you to London and you got a master's at the King's College there. And uh, I'm allowed to say what your master's was in <laughs> espionage. Is that right? Sure. It's essentially, it's just <laughs> yeah, Intel studies. It's the, that's the, that's what they call it. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The university calls it. Was that a very international experience, the master's program there? So for me, it was, I was living in Cambridge and for the two years that I was there during the, the pandemic lockdown. So most of the programs were oh. distance learning. Yeah. So while working, while working with our British partners, whether it's through um, their GCHQ and all the, their Intel agencies, um, we, I found that like I really wanted to learn more about some of their history, and then and also the parallels between the U.S. IC and the British IC, and that's why I wanted to study um, Intel studies from from King's London, uh, King's College London, and yeah, because it was largely because of those the interactions that I was having with with the, with the British IC on a day to day basis with my job over at Africom. And now you've you've returned to the U.S. You're here in Washington D.C. working at uh, DoD, but you're also doing a fellowship, uh, Defense Venture Fellows Program. Uh, tell us, just if you could, a little bit about that, whatever you can. That sounds like an interesting uh, mix of different people from different places. Sure, sure, yeah. The Defense Ventures Program is an awesome program for anyone who's a DoD civilian. Guard, active duty, a reservist, enlisted two officer, um, and it's essentially a program for eight weeks. They are they give you the opportunity to work with either a def- like a defense tech company, startup level, seed, pre seed, uh, sometimes Series A, um, that size, or a venture capital fund that's focused on investing in defense tech or dual use tech that has both a commercial gain, commercial benefit. And a, and a government benefit at the same time. Um, so I've been paired with a company called the fund called Mark Mark Ventures. Uh, the managing director is formerly the managing director for the Army Venture Capital Corporation. Um, a guy by the name of Jake Chapman, 
and it's been an amazing experience really just understand how what what's what's what are the incentives for the venture community how can they uh, how can the government incentivize them to invest in like deep tech and the critical technologies that that we really do need um, and programs like these are, are really great because you really do need a conduit between the DOD, Washington, and the Valley, whether it's the investment side or the startup side. Um, so it's it's just great being able to work with with, uh, with with Jake's team. Well, good, good. That's great. I yeah, and, and it was interesting to read about that program. Uh, well, let's shift back. You know, I think it was at the graduation from the Air Force Academy when I came out there, and we had a small luncheon at the superintendent's house afterwards, and. Uh, had the chance to have testimonials from the cadets that we hear every year. But I remember you telling me around that time that you were heading off to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And if memory serves me right, you went there with your father and your brother. Actually, it was, it was a few friends from, from the Academy. A few of my, okay. Uh, okay. I have that wrong, um, but yeah. So but you're right. It's, <laughs> were you already into climbing mountains at that time? Yeah, honestly, that's um, one of the reasons why I wanted to live in Colorado serve go to the Air Force Academy, but the Rocky Mountains, I'm, uh, I'm an Eagle Scout, grew up fishing, camping, not so much skiing, picked that up later at the Academy. But yeah, that is something that uh, I've always liked to do. And um, in a way, I, I find that it helped keeps me grounded as well as um, work-life balance is so important. So you, I, I would always look forward to like training I really, the, one of the best times is when you're training for an objective like that. Um, you, you know that because it's high stakes. It's, it's not, I'm not a marathoner. I'm not a, I, I run a few triathlons, but when you're climbing a mountain like that, you know that you have to be physically fit because if you start moving slow up at altitude, um, that's where, that's where danger can happen. That's where accidents can occur. So, um, it's high stakes training. So you really focus up, but Kilimanjaro was, was great. First time climbing in Africa, um, started ice climbing in South Korea, joined, uh, I think you want to maybe go back to that South Korea climbing story, but I essentially joined a Seoul mountaineering club. Um, I spoke a little bit of Korean, so I started to learn some of the, the climbing lingo, uh, in, in Korean because none of these guys spoke English. Um, and we climbed multiple, times throughout um the, the essentially it's, it's the mountains north of seoul if you ever seen a photo of seoul just tons of mountains north of the city so we would climb multiple times um communicating just enough learn to ice climb with them as well and yeah so it's it's definitely something that uh, i like to do on on the side when i'm not uh working on the working some air force issue so do you do you are you have you been able to find the time still to keep Doing your climbing? Um, not so much in D.C. In no, <laughs> we don't England, have many yes, months to climb five here. Five trips to the Alps. Five trips to the Alps? Yeah, no, there's, there's an area in West Virginia. Five trips to the Alps. Um, just three or four day weekends, if, that ever, if we ever were given those. So Mount Blanc, Slovenia, uh, Austria, and then a uh, trip to Italy uh, two times. Have you tackled uh, many 14,000-plus peaks? I know Colorado has quite a few. <laughs> have you climbed? Maybe that. I've actually climbed 30 of them. 
Um, okay, 30, Island, yeah. The Academy. I've got one on my list. Uh, it's in Colorado, Long's Peak, which is in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's about yep. 14,260, yeah. I think. But I'll, I'll share my experience. Right. Yeah, that is. I'll share share my experience because you reminded me of it when you said you got to keep moving because you get into trouble when you don't is I uh, got up to the top of the mountain and uh, you know, it was uh, probably a half an hour of sitting, eating half a sandwich, uh, apple juice. And then all of a sudden like the altitude sickness <laughs> set in and, I started throwing up. I said, I'm never going to get down from here. You know, they're going to send a helicopter up to rescue me, but I, I found the will to make it back down. But, uh, I think I should have just turned around when I got to the top after a five minute break and headed back down. Uh, cause it wasn't a pleasant feeling when I got up there and started feeling sick, but, uh, you do have that sense of accomplishment, uh, that comes with, you know, achieving something like that. And you've, you said you've climbed 30, 14,000 plus peaks. That right? That's remarkable. Yep. You've climbed Kilimanjaro in Africa and in Asia and uh, the U.S. And you said the Alps. That's great to keep that passion going. You also like biking, don't you? Yes. Big. Yep. Um, started that about 10, 15 years ago. Um, for me, England is pretty flat. You go up to Scotland or you go up to the you go up to the Lake District. It, yeah. It changes, but. Um, I cycled with, uh, started a group, me and a buddy of mine, and we ended up just, every Saturday, we would cycle somewhere, um, whether it was to like a local coffee shop or something like that, but it's one of the best places to cycle, Cambridge. Yeah. It's relatively flat, but it's such a beautiful countryside. Uh, you're clearly a leader, uh, someone who's gone to the, the Air Force Academy and serving in the military and the kinds of things you've done in your life already. Do you think uh, we're still developing strong leaders, uh, the kind that this country needs? Uh, what kind of thoughts do you have about leadership development that you could share with us today? You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that because that's kind of what all we're about is, is you know, developing courageous leaders because leaders have to have courage, of course. And you've had the opportunity to work with Dom Rumsfeld, certainly a leader in his career. Uh, you have any thoughts you could share with us about leadership? Sure. Um, yes, it definitely, um, tough, tough times do call for courageous and, and leaders with integrity. In fact, um, in, in preparation for this for this podcast, I was thinking back to my time, and I, I remembered how um, Secretary Rumsfeld, each intern, he would have us read um, Adlai Stevenson's address to the Princeton class of 1954. Um, that was the year that. See, he graduated from, from Princeton. And there's a line in there. I ended up rereading it a few days ago. And there's a line that I really wanted to um, take out and focus in on um, because I think it explains um, kind of why leadership is so important, why you need people to stand up um, when, when the times are, are tough. Um, so it's on the second, second page. So for if you do, if those young Americans who have the advantage of education, perspective, and self-discipline do not participate to the fullest extent of their ability, America will stumble, and if America stumbles, the world falls. Written um, 1954, during a, a time of great change, uh, as America stepped into this clear global 
role as a global leader. Um, but I think it resonates even today. Um, so I'm fully appreciative of, of the of the, the, the TFAS experience because I know that it's the leadership piece that I that I really gained um, honorable leadership, um, integrity, and then and then then the mentorship piece because you do have to go out and find and support that that next generation of the folks that are coming behind you. Um, so that's why I wanted to when I moved back to DC, I wanted to get back involved with with, uh, with the TFAS mentorship program and uh, start working and identifying students who are who are interested in, in, in public service, whether it's military, government, nonprofit, local level, national level. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the, the, the some of the experiences that Mr. Rumsfeld provided me. Yeah, well, no, we're we're grateful to you and and many of our other alumni who are, have served as mentors in our program and. It was interesting this summer. Uh, it didn't really occur to me till I was at a mentor evening we did. Uh, I've forgotten if you were there, but I think you were, uh, where we went, they went through a slideshow of about 35, 40 mentors, uh, alumni, and many of them, more than I would have expected, had served in the military. Some had gone to academies, but others had just served later in the military. Some were still serving, but uh, it reflects you know, a positive message there of, uh, your willingness to, uh, teach those lessons of self-discipline, of integrity, honorable leadership, and share them with the generation coming up right behind you. So we're grateful to you for the mentoring you've done for us and hope we'll continue to do. Uh, it's a, it's a feature we added to our programs about 10 years ago, and the students are eager to have mentors who can help give them advice from their experiences in life. Uh, so I think that, that quote captured when you, you talked about self-discipline, uh, honorable leadership style has been very important. Courage is something that we've kind of put in the equation now, uh, because our country does need those kinds of leaders. Uh, and, you know, I'm quick to point out too, and I like to mention it, uh, you know, that you can be a leader without necessarily serving in the military. I mean, it's, I, I appreciate and say thank you to, to Bryce, to you and to others who do choose to defend our country, take the oath of office to uphold our constitution, serve in the military, because we need bright, young, courageous leaders in our military. But it's important for students, all our students to know, you know, even those not going into military careers, that leadership's needed in the business world and finance and government, uh, especially honorable leadership, integrity. I mean, that's where I think we, when we fall down in our country today, it's because our leaders lack integrity. Uh, they lack that kind of courage and discipline, self-discipline that you've touched on. So you got me going here, Bryce. I think that's right on target. Uh, I appreciate what you had to say. Do you get the chance to go back to the academy or interact at all with uh, the Air Force Academy or students there? Or are you just too busy in your Air Force career to do that? Um, I haven't been back in, in a few years. Um, I currently, there's a program that allows graduates and alumni to uh, mentor, uh, like virtually mentor a few cadets. So I'm taking part in that program. Good, um, good. But the I, I haven't been able to make it out to Colorado. I actually, I will be speaking to the Virginia Tech Corps of Cadets Um in about three weeks, I'm, I'm mainly going to be discussing honorable leadership and then 
the Air Force Intel um, career field. And I'm hoping that after I leave, there's a, a bunch of new interested ROTC cadets <laughs> for the Intel career field. Yeah, well, we did have a, uh, it was a young woman this summer in our program who was in the Corps of Cadets at Virginia Tech. So she, she may be in your audience when you speak to them. That's she's great. She's actually behind the scenes. And she's actually the reason that I'm heading over there. Yeah, oh, you did you meet this summer? Oh, summer. good, good. That's wonderful. Yes. I'm glad that was a connection through TFAS. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Definitely, we, that was a TFAS connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, as I mentioned at the, at the outset, we've had Air Force cadets coming to our program since sometime in the 1980s, and uh, the Coast Guard Academy has been very active in the past 15 years, thanks to a, a donor of ours who was a Coast Guard Academy graduate. Uh, we have West Point cadets coming. Uh, we haven't really uh, struck up a lasting relationship with the Naval Academy. Uh, so if you run across some Navy people in your career at the Pentagon, maybe you can <laughs> talk up our program and we can get... Yeah. More regular. It's so close. Wonder it's, why it's not. Hard. Yeah, right. I think it's hard in part because of their summer obligations on ships make it a little more difficult for them to carve out the time for our program. Uh, but uh, but we've had they had a few and uh, uh, they're outstanding. Uh, well, I I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I would like to ask you uh, uh, a, a bit more about kind of the future, what plans you might have, uh, maybe in a role that you're in and. Uh, the military, you can't plan that long, but do you hope to, you think you'll be in DC for a while or do you going to be sent somewhere else around the globe before? Still, uh, still contemplating. Do you have some say in that? I do. Yeah. Every, yeah. you move every two to three years, um, put your dream sheet, top, top few places you would like to, like to go. Yeah. Um, honestly, this defense ventures program has opened up some pretty amazing doors, um, into, um, um, into the venture and defense tech community. And I'm seeing how, like you said, you don't need to be in, in uniform to serve. And you can really find ways to, whether it's through ideating on a, on a tough issue that the government's trying to solve, that, that answer could be in a startup in Silicon Valley, you know. And there's, I'm fascinated by this new, um, it's called American Dynamism. That's essentially the, the, the bucket term. Um, but it's investing in companies that support the American interest and um, in recent orbits, A16Z, they're the ones that are leading that one. But I think that there's, there are lots of ways you can um, serve your country through other, through other means. And in this case, it's China has the whole civil military fusion. Um, we, we have private public partnerships here in the United States. And we need to make sure, make sure those are strong, make sure that our ecosystems, whether it's wall street, Washington, Silicon Valley, uh, continue to work together. Um, so that's who knows that that could be um, where I, where I move later in my career. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, my my guest today has been Bryce Mitchell. Bryce is an honorable leader. Uh, we appreciate your service to our country, Bryce. Uh, we certainly appreciate your service as well to the Fund for American Studies. Hope we can count on you to continue to serve as a mentor in the future. And one of these days we'll find time to get out on our bikes together and bike uh, the WNOD trail around uh, Virginia. I'd love to do that sometime with you. I don't know if I can keep up with you, yeah. but yeah. Uh, we'll give it a try. No, I, would, I would like that. Thank you, Roger. Yeah, <laughs> good, awesome. good. 
Thanks so much for being with us on the Liberty and Leadership Podcast. Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell's comments do not represent the positions of the U.S. Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any part of the U.S. government. Thank you for listening to the Liberty and Leadership Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, like, or share the show on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like this episode, I ask you to rate and review it. And if you have a comment or question for the show, please drop us an email at podcast at tfas.org. The Liberty and Leadership Podcast is produced at K Global Studios in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Roger Reed. And until next time, show courage in things large and small.